Dan Waltzman here. Welcome to the Edgy Conversations podcast. As always, radical help for people who want it. I'm so excited today. I've been promising you. I mean, I, I promised. I, I said it before. If you missed the the promises, then this is the first time you're hearing about it. That I would be reading to you a story from the first chapter in my book. It, without any further ado. I've been, let me tell you what I'm working on. And I'm looking at my notes if you can't tell. I've been working on a new book called The Law of Awesome. That's the working title, The Law of Awesome. Edgy Conversations came out and people said, let's be edgy, let's be edgy. And I said, great, let's be edgy. But then people said, why? Why be edgy? <laughs> it's great. But if I'm a high performer, what do I want from it? People just don't want to be edgy, extreme, disciplined, giving and human for no reason. So why? What's the point? Who cares? It's because you want awesomeness in your life. And so there's a law to awesome. There's a law to awesome. And I want to share what that law of awesome is. And it's going to be in this next book that I share, that, that I write. I'm in the middle of, of, of trying to put together the pieces right now. And of course, as you know, my writing, I love stories. I think nothing better encapsulates the spirit of triumph, the joy of winning, than hearing a story of somebody else do it. And so um, essentially... It's not much motivation I'm going to read to you. It's just a story. Is that, can, we, can, we, can we jump into that? Let me grab a quick sip of coffee here before I jump in. Shall we? Let's jump in. Chapter one, the law of awesome. The elephants wouldn't fit. Isn't that a cool opening line? The elephants wouldn't fit. They had to go back. Hannibal Barca stood on the edge of a snowy cliff high in the mountains. He had achieved what Rome expected to be impossible, an invasion from overtop the dangerously temperamental Alps. He had already led his fearsome lot of African warriors across the peaks of the highest mountain range in Western civilization. They were now headed down the other side, towards Rome and the glory of his victory. But it had come at a cost, at a high price. Despite the genius of his bold rancor, climbing up through the Rhone Valley had cost his men staggering losses, more than 13,000 of his Carthaginian warriors had died. All along the way, they had faced the deadly entrapments of the barbarians who called that wild part of the mountain their home. The natives would roll massive boulders down the trail crushing soldiers and causing the panicked cavalry and elephants who came behind to lose their footing. Many of them were thrown off the mountain to certain death. It was late October and the harsh weather, the rigor of the campaign, ferocity of the battle, and the loss of animals sapped the resolve of Hannibal's men. Through it all, he had led them with daily words of inspiration, pointing from the mountaintops towards Rome, promising riches, promising glory. But now the genius of his plan came to a crashing halt. Quite simply, the elephants wouldn't fit. They couldn't fit. No one in his entire army could fit, not any of them, let alone all 50,000 warriors. The path down the mountain, down the Alps, 
turned into nothing. As the snow melted in the heat of the sun and then returned to ice in the darkness of the night, the pathway had turned into mud and then the entire trail fell away completely in a landslide. That's where Hannibal stood on the edge of a narrow cliff looking down at defeat. At 26, he had inherited the army and the spirit of conquest from his father, Hamilcar, who died in battle fighting the Celtic warriors on the coast of Spain. He had sworn a blood oath to his father against Rome when he was just a small boy, and he was determined to fulfill it. Now as he looked down, the man, whose last name meant Thunderbolt, decided that turning back was unacceptable. And I'm going to say this, pronounce this wrong. Invenium viam at faciam. He allegedly shouted irritably at the generals who begged him to reconsider. Quite simply translated into English, that means, I will find a way or I will make one. Make one? In the middle of winter, stuck on the side of the highest mountain range in the world? But that's exactly what he did. Rallying his men along this treacherous area, Hannibal instructed his men to create a path out of dirt and rubble. It was backbreaking work, but his men responded to his drive and inspiration. It took three days of work for thousands of men, almost 50,000 of them trapped on the side of the Alps, to build enough trail to get their remaining 37 elephants and hundreds of horses below the snow line. His men were beaten down. His animals were close to starving. He told his army to make camp for a few days until they got their strength and motivation back. Despite the tremendous obstacles in their way, Hannibal, he had just masterminded the most celebrated achievement of any military force in ancient warfare. They had traveled across the Alps in 16 days. He had moved 50,000 warriors, 7,000 uh, cavalry, and dozens of full-grown elephants. His army crushed the Roman forces in the north of Italy, led by his elephants. For the next 15 years, he ravaged the land, killing or wounding over a million Roman citizens, dominating the, the Roman Empire. Conquest and triumph through unimaginably horrific circumstances, against the raging tempest of winter, against an enemy perched high in the rocks above them, against the devastation of sickness and death, against all odds, he had found success. He had found a way. He had made one in vinium viam ad faciam. But wait, we're not done. We're not done yet. Fast forward. Robert Perry was hallucinating. His vision blurry, his thoughts chaotic and slowed. This story of Hannibal played before his eyes like a movie reel. He had been told the story of Hannibal and his conquest of Rome as a child. It now had special meaning for him as he lay close to death, fighting for his life against the angry tides of an Arctic snow. The story replayed through his mind as if on loop, 
He lay huddled in Fort Conger, about a hundred miles south of his own Cathargian conquest, claiming the North Pole. Elephants trumpeting out of fear, the great general shouting encouragement to his men as they carved frozen dirt from the side of the mountain to make a road where none existed, soldiers fighting like brothers for a cause, for triumph, for greatness. Robert lay huddled on his cot, playing the story out in his mind as he had been told it, shivering from pain and disappointment. A few hours earlier, he had stumbled into the dilapidated shack. They were so close to success, he could practically taste victory, almost to the North Pole. But the toll on his team and his body had been immense. Sitting next to the warmth of the fire, he had, as he described it, a suspicious wooden feeling in the right foot. He pulled off his boots to warm his flesh. What he saw from his mangled skin spelled disaster. Eight toes had developed frostbite. His legs were dead white from the knees down. His toes needed to be amputated soon. Without proper medical facilities or a surgical staff, his support team would remove those eight damaged toes. Despite the frostbite, he suffered unimaginable pain as they worked to save the rest of his feet and his life. That was the haze that he lay in, shivering, hallucinating of great men, and willing himself to his own impossible greatness. A longing burned in his soul. He would find a way. He would make one. The weather descended into blizzard conditions outside as he wrestled with death and defeat inside, but he fought through. And after a month stuck at Fort Conger, the weather finally cleared and Perry's right-hand man, Matthew Henson, led the team back, but not towards the North Pole, south, back to their ship, waiting to take them home with Perry strapped to a sled, crippled, unable to walk. On the wall next to his cot, he had scratched a phrase into the wooden wall in his feverish state. Invinium vium ad facium. Wow. Like Hannibal looking over the edge of a cliff with no road to safety, he was faced with obvious defeat. This, this moment, this right now, was his sixth expedition aimed at conquering the North Pole. The doctors told him that his adventure days were over. He thought otherwise. His entire life had been spent attempting things that other people thought were impossible, goals that smarter people knew to be a waste of time and effort. Almost two decades earlier, he joined the U.S. Navy Civil Engineers, a job that sent him to Key West on his first assignment to build a new Navy pier that other experienced engineers said couldn't be done. Most balked at the request, citing other engineers' experiences or environmental conditions or lack of safety. But for Perry, for Robert Perry, it was a chance to prove himself and launch his career. He had found a way. With a bit of ingenuity and hard work, he pulled off the impossible and saved the U.S. Navy $675,000, more than $15 million in today's money. After that, the Navy sent him down to Nicaragua to serve as the chief assistant on a surveying expedition. It was there in Central America that he became obsessed with the idea of becoming the first man to reach the North Pole. 
It was an odd time and place to imagine achieving such an audacious challenge, but the idea completely captivated him. It quickly became an all-consuming passion. He realized that to be the first to breach the Arctic Circle, he would have to think for himself. This would be a massive undertaking without much help from other adventurers, and it hadn't been done before. Getting started was no easy task. It took him a few years of convincing his superiors to let him take an extended leave of absence from the Corps to journey to Greenland to prove America's superiority on a global scale. On his first trip across the tundra, he seemingly broke every rule in the book. See, Perry studied the ways of the native people at the time. Current experts were convinced that the Inuits lacked any practical Arctic know-how, despite having lived there for generations. But Perry, he learned to hunt food while traveling instead of ignoring the local animals. He understood the life-saving value of animal skin clothing. He himself wearing deerskin parkas, bearskin pants, sealskin boots. He and his team built igloos as they traveled north instead of carrying tents to reduce the cargo weight they would have to transport. They formed an elite dog team to pull the dog sleds, team sleds, excuse me, instead of, instead of having his men pull them with the strength of their backs like other explorers did. He walked in front of his team charting the path instead of following behind safely. And it worked. He was making a way. His strategy led him to be the second man to cross the entirety of Greenland. But in the summer of 1891, an accident almost ended his life as he ventured north. An ice block wedged under the iron rudder of his ship, lurching the ship to one side, pinning down Perry and snapping both of his shin bones in his right leg. The doctor did all he could do, but his exploring days were over. They turned the ship around and headed home to let him find time to heal. A few months later, he decided to compete against both of his own men and some Eskimos in a snowshoe race. Believe it or not, he won. Robert Perry would not go down without a fight. I'm not done yet with the first chapter. There's a couple more pages, and I'm not going to tell them to you. I'm hoping there's some allure for when actually the book comes out. What I love is the power of stories to inspire us. Here, Hannibal Barca, perhaps the greatest general of ancient history. There's no path down the Alps. Even getting up was crazy. But all of a sudden, the path disappears and he finds a way. And then hundreds of years later, thousand plus years later, here's a man who wants to conquer the Arctic Circle, who as he is close to dying, is inspired by the story of the greatest general of all time. And that's the power of your story. It's the power of my story. So what you do is not about you. It's about the steps you make through the sands of history. And I'm not here to be philosophical or metaphysical or some sort of crazy woo-woo stuff. I'm just trying to tell you what you do makes a difference. Your story you'll leave behind is profound and it is real and what you do matters. And how dare you not get up in the morning inspired and motivated to help somebody maybe a thousand years from now by the awesomeness of your story. I can't wait to finish the book, The Law of Awesome. I'm so excited. I can't wait to share it with you all. I don't know when it'll be out. It took me four years to write the first book. 
I'm about six months into my second one. But I'm just excited to have all of you in my life. And I want to just share with you, reinforce with you again today, the power of your inspired story. Because you're making a difference. Until the next time, guys, stay edgy. Be awesome.